Good afternoon. Welcome to Mackling and McGarry. Tuesday afternoon mm-hmm. on 680 CJOB. Another gorgeous day in the city of Winnipeg, province of Manitoba. It really has been a sensational last few days, and I hope it doesn't sound like we're sort of beating a dead horse in that. But it it's probably just, does. It's so, it's, I'm happy to, <laughs> to beat this dead horse, man. It's nice to look outside and see the blue sky. It really does. Did it rain at all last night? I don't think so, but I think we're supposed to get some rain this afternoon and maybe even a thunderstorm uh, later on. So I only asked be because cool. I was driving around. Uh, I went grocery shopping late for 9.30, 10 o'clock, and it was black, and it looked like rain clouds were coming in from all directions, but I didn't see any rain. It cooled off really quick. We had baseball last night, and I got caught in that in-between layer of clothing where Ah. I was worried when I left the house I was going to be too warm, and halfway through baseball I realized that I was uh, not warm enough, so... Yeah, the, the temperature changed pretty dramatically quite quickly last night around 7 o'clock where we were. So, yeah, well, lots of fun. I tried to go get an ice cream at Sergeant Sunday. I thought, <laughs> you need a reservation. They take reservations there. <laughs> I forgot. I haven't been, because it, it occurred to me yesterday, I have not been for ice cream at Sergeant Sunday since at least 2013, possibly really? 2012. Really? I used to spend a lot of money there. I like their <laughs> Oreo, um, I can't even remember what they call them. The, the blizzard, Fury Flurry yeah, thing. The Blizzard equivalent. I think it might, if you know what they call them at Sergeant Sunday, I don't want to misquote, but uh, I love their Oreo whatever Blizzard thing is at Sergeant Sunday. So I just thought, I'm going to go to Sergeant Sunday. And I went there, and there was a lineup outside the door, probably 50 people inside. I just kind of, I did one of these where you're walking, you just sort of around the corner. No! And <laughs> just didn't even break Wait, my stride. Just you don't turned have like, around um, and kept going. You don't have, like, backdoor privileges there like you used to have at the Palomino Club? Oh, <laughs> 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 you go to the back door. Yeah, I need a double scoop of vanilla and one of those Oreo flurry thingies. That would be amazing. Wouldn't that be awesome? Oh, man. <laughs> so one day I'm going to, that is now my vow. It's my mission to go to Sergeant Sunday and decide I'm going to stand in this line. I'll bring a book if I have to. I'll bring the, uh, that book that we got the other day, the uh, the Freedom Broker. Is that what it was called? Yes. From our, uh, I can't remember her K- name. KJ. Now. KJ. KJ Howe, I think. KJ Howe, yep. So I'll bring that book. It's sitting on my desk at home. Fantastic. Hey, uh, quite the experience this morning. Thanks for coming with me, even though you've been there in the past. No, I'm glad. I Yeah, we went to the Silo Mission on, that's uh, Princess, right? Yeah, 300 Princess, I believe. I went there for a tour about five years ago, I want to say. And it's a good reminder. And it's good to see some of the changes that they made, some of the improvements. And uh, it's just, an, it's such an incredible facility. You don't realize the all the things they're doing there. It's it's like a little factory almost. It's incredible. What was your reaction? It was your first visit, yes? First visit. I, of course, have seen videos, seen pictures over the years, driven by, seen the lineups, know that they do incredible work. Of course, we've hosted radiothons here on 680 CGOB over the years uh, to help Silo Mission. Am I saying that right, correctly now? Silo. Mission, and I think that's one of the um, things people are uncomfortable with saying the the, the name just because it doesn't roll off the tongue sometimes. And of course, what they do is pretty powerful. And when you go into that main area and you see these individuals who are, you, you know what's going on in their life, at least you think you do. Mm-hmm. 
I think we all do a little bit of judging when we drive by there at a certain time of night and you see these individuals, these men mostly, waiting in line to get a hot meal. But when you really drill down and find out what the stories are, and our uh, leader, Liz, from from Siloam, who led us around, and what a what a great gal. Mm-hmm. Just her spirit is so powerful, and, and you know that she does what she does because she loves it. She believes in the story, believes that they're making a difference, and I have no doubt they're making a difference. And I think the story that jumped out for me was that there were 36 individuals who left there last night or that stayed there last night that left this morning with a packed lunch because they were on their way to go to work. And this just might be the intermediate step that some of these people need in order to get their life back on track. This is not an ultimate destination for anyone. And the fact that there is a stepping stone, an intermediate place for people who are going through Maybe it's a divorce, a rapid change in their personal circumstance. We got a text message yesterday from an individual whose house had burnt down the night before, slept in his car on Sunday night, reached out for a little bit of help, for some direction. And you realize that most of those people are not there by choice. They're looking for an opportunity to change their life around. And when I heard that 36 individuals we're taking a packed lunch to, to work and some of the processes that are in place in order to help these individuals gain employment to take that next step. It was a pretty powerful realization, powerful story for me. And I, I'm just so proud of the work that they're doing over there. So when you walk into, well, at least where we walked in, there's two entrances. There's the entrance that leads into the drop-in center. And then if you're, there's an entrance a little bit further north, if you're looking at the building, it's on the left side. That's where we went in. That's where you walk. If you want to make a donation, you you buzz in there. So they bring us through an elevator that kind of connects to the drop-in center, and you walk in and you see, I don't know, I want to say there were maybe 100 people in there when we walked through. And uh, it's a really nice dining hall. They, I know, I'm pretty sure they've done some renovations in there since I've last been there. And they take us into the kitchen which I think there were seven or eight people in there diligently preparing all kinds of food. And only two staff. That's right. Two of them were staff and the rest were volunteers. 1,500 meals a day. You have restaurant experience. You made an observation. You were sort of looking around the size of the kitchen, kind of like wide-eyed. Yeah, I was. Why is that? Just I know how much space it takes to feed that many people. And they don't have... The traditional amount of space that it would take for you to serve 1,500 meals a day, but they make it work. Uh, But it's big at the same time. I don't want to contradict myself, but as big as it is, it's amazing that they serve 500 meals three times a day out of that kitchen. Absolutely mind-blowing. And uh, the fact that they do it with two full-time staff and the rest is done with volunteers and all the food is essentially donated. So they take us from there. We ended up, I believe, we ended up, we had to skip some areas. They have uh, uh, what they call their shopping area because they have all of the donated clothes go into this room where you can walk in and, and shop. You know, you can try stuff on or see what this, they have things organized by size. So it's not just kind of 
reach into a bin and look for something. It's right. meant to be a dignified experience. They have changing rooms, and uh, we didn't get to see that part. But I had seen it, and I when I first saw it, I thought, oh, that's actually. It's funny, like the things that they introduce you to in there are things that you don't think about or you don't know. Like, oh yeah, yeah. When you put it that way, the 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 dignity that is lost without. Like the things that we kind of take for granted, I think. So that change room is nice. We didn't get to see that. They have an art studio, which is great. It's really nice to see some of the work that the people who have gone to Siloam, gone through Siloam, have done. They have an incredible health center with uh, volunteered medical professionals, be it doctors, chiropractors, physiotherapists, dentists. dentists. Yep. And it's all state-of-the-art equipment that has all been donated to them, they were telling us the story of the, I believe it was a chiropractor who kind of launched that health center, a person who would come in just to volunteer with in the kitchen, I think, was it? And then started they, doing adjustments out in the in the common area, in the drop-in center. Yeah. And so he's like, yeah, we need to fix this. We need a, a different place to do this. Mm-hmm. And so to realize that someone is already giving their time and their skill stepped it up even one more level, got his friends together and said, yeah, we need to, we need to create a clinic here. And, so, and spearheaded that. Once again, very inspirational. I think the question that uh, Greg was posing earlier, the, the one o'clock news, was if you have, we would like to hear your feedback at 204-780-6868 about a place, an experience that you perhaps were just completely blown away by, or maybe it shattered your your any misconceptions you may have had and they don't have to be bad misconceptions they just might not be it wasn't what you thought it was going to be and maybe it affected you in a way a visit to somewhere else a visit to an institution or a or a drop-in center or one of these amazing what's the right word here Brett one of these amazing uh, organizations here in our community that are, are doing things for the greater good and maybe you're just completely blown away by not only their efficiency, their dedication to doing things the right way and the fact that I never, ever imagined, like you said, I never would have thought of having to have a dressing room for someone to try on and to have the dignity dignity of picking out a new outfit and and doing it like maybe they're at a at a store in a shopping mall. And giving them that, they even put it in a bag and try to make it feel like a two-way transaction. Just the little things that they're doing over there to to give people, and that word came up over and over again, dignity. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. You can also email brett at cjob.com or gmac at cjob.com. We'll tell you more about our story, our, our journey through the labyrinth that was the behind-the-scenes look at Siloam Mission. It is 116, your forecast is up next. I'm Brett, he's Greg. We are telling you about our trip today. We took a tour of Siloam Mission on Princess Street. It's a shelter for the homeless. And the great work that they do, the amazing work, quite frankly, that they do there. I want to address a text message that has just come in at 204-780-6868. We mentioned, Greg mentioned, that most of the people who use the services at Siloam Mission are male. Michael, who texts us regularly, has sent us a text saying, mostly males is not a surprise at the Siloam. What does that tell you? 
I don't know what that tells you, Michael, but we did ask that question. I asked Liz, who gave us our tour, and she essentially said there are if there are women who require services like asylum, they have other shelters because a lot of times they are escaping abusive situations, so they they need you know a women's shelter. Um, I don't think that I'm not entirely sure if Michael's getting at anything there, but well, maybe should, Michael should tell us what it tells him. Yeah, what does it tell you, Michael? I think it just, in in the case of Siloam, they essentially said that there are other shelters that pr- provide services that... Well, when you see the sleeping hall, and that's just really, you know, the dormitory, whatever you want to call it, uh, it's wide open. It's uh, no place for uh, mixed company. Mm-hmm. There are showers attached. I mean... It, it, it's pretty obvious when you go there why it serves one one gender. Um, they, they did say they don't turn women away. Right. They just tend to get mostly men right. who right. visit asylum. And they will tend to redirect uh, women to other agencies. But there was a part of the third floor mm-hmm. that I was not expecting to see. There's a room. So we, as Greg mentioned, there's a there's a the dormitory has a I don't know hundred ish beds, uh, like all out in the open. But there's a a private room tucked away in the back, and you walk in, and there are three beds, individual sort of twin size beds, and there is uh, like a little was it a playpen kind of thing in the, in the middle? Yeah, for families on the off chance that they need to serve a family with children, young children be it a baby or a toddler. And the reaction for for Greg, because it caught... I knew it was there, but for Greg, it had caught him by surprise. Can you even talk about it right now, Greg? I can. Um, you just... You, you realize really quick, it was a right-in-your-face reminder. And, of course, the environment, the paint color is very... I won't say sterile, but consistent throughout the building. These cots, these beds are all the same color frame, same color mattress. And then you see this punch of color from this playpen. And right away, as a, as a parent, you realize who that's designed for. And it just really quickly made me realize, A, how lucky I am in my life. And I very quickly could picture a family in that room and very quickly imagine what it would be like to have to make that decision. To have a child, a toddler, a baby in tow, to go to an organization like Siloam and saying, um, we need help. We need a place to sleep. And these people that do that, I think are super brave, super brave. And it, it was just a powerful image for me to, to see with my own two eyes. I'm not naive to the fact that there are families out there that need help. There are lots of incredible organizations out there for families, but I just was not expecting to see that today. And it hit me, it hit me very hard. We got another text message here from somebody who is asked to remain anonymous. When our daughter was 13 and thought she was having a tough life because we had certain rules at home, So her and I went to volunteer at Siloam for a couple of months. Being the age of 13, she was only allowed in the kitchen, but her seeing the people go through the line 
was eye-opening. She is now 20, or in her early 20s, pardon me, and thanked me for showing her that people are much... There are people who need more, and she's happy that she... Sorry, there's a... Sometimes things get lost in translation as we go through these sort of cold off the cuff, but essentially the message is she... It was an eye-opening experience for her daughter, and she also suggests that every citizen of Manitoba should go and spend a day volunteering there at Silo Mission, which once again is located at the... Where is the address here? 300 Princess Street. Website is Siloam.ca. And we do have a phone call. What's the name, Jeff? Just tell me what the name is. Randy. Okay. All right. We're going to talk very quickly, talk to Randy, uh, who is reaching out to us. This is the gentleman who contacted us uh, whose house burnt down. Randy, welcome to 680 CJOB. Hello, folks. Uh, Thanks for the advice, Jeff. I had no idea that the Red Cross was even available for me as a resource. Uh, last night, I slept in a bed, had a fantastic hot shower this morning, and I'm well on my way to, uh, you know, living a normal life again. Randy, I'm sorry you've gone through this, my man. Thanks for for trusting us and, and reaching out. And I had no idea. I had to do a little bit of digging with regard to the Red Cross being a resource for you, but uh, it sounds as though they've been extremely helpful helpful for you. Definitely. Uh, it, it's, it's shocking that uh, I went to social services, uh, nobody from the fire department, or even when I called my city councillor, even knew that was uh, available to me. And if it wasn't for them, I, I would have slept a, a second night in my car. Well, listen, Randy, thank you so much for reaching out to us. We're glad to hear that you are on your way to, uh, I don't want to know if recovery is the word, but uh, you know, recovering your, your life from tragedy so thank you for sharing your story with us randy and we just want to quickly mention the website siloam.ca if you want more information on how you can help even if you just have a bag of old clothes that you want to wash and drop off not not you know gently used clothes of course you can just show up there it's super easy you just pull up in front they've got a loading zone just pull up in front of the building they buzz you in just give them the bag they say thank you and then they bring it in they've got a chute they just open the door, it goes into down a chute into this gigantic room in the basement where they've got people working hard to sort everything. Uh, we can go on about all the things that they need, but Siloam.ca is the website. And again, they're located at 300 Princess Street, Siloam Mission. The news is coming up next. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you on this Tuesday afternoon. And we are going to move on to another topic. We've got some audio from Jimmy Kimmel that's uh, blowing up the internet, and I know that not everybody has access uh, to YouTube necessarily, maybe in their workday. So we want to play a little bit of that for you. But uh, we've got a couple calls, a couple callers who want to talk about. Uh, I'm assuming, I'm guessing, Silo Mission and the work that they do uh, based on the experience that Brett and I shared with you in the last half hour. Bob is at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Hello there, Bob. What would you like to say? Yeah, just a, a super job. It's another example of, uh, of the importance of what I call interagency support, including the media. This, this sharing of the individual that uh, got support through the Red Cross and, and uh, couldn't find it without your help. I've been exposed to that, that issue many times in developing what we call 24-hour support plans, which involves uh, professional paid, paid agencies uh, supporting individuals, volunteers supporting individuals, family members supporting individuals. 
And one of the things I've always found alarming is how many paid professional social service safety net members of agencies we have that are not aware of all the variety of supports in order to meet the needs of it, what you would call a 24-hour plan. That needs to be addressed because at least the two problems, one where you have a case where you have an individual who's sleeping in their car, and the other is where you end up with duplicity of service, where people are being paid to do the same job, and neither one of them are doing a good job. You know what, Robert, you made a great point, and for those that maybe didn't catch, uh, Randy, our last caller, his house burnt down in the West End on Sunday night, and he spent Sunday night sleeping in his car. He reached out to us about quarter to four yesterday afternoon, and I did a little bit of digging and realized that the Red Cross might be a resource for him. In fact, it's part of the mandate on their website. If you've had a house fire, you don't know who to contact, reach out to us. I sent Randy that phone number and he told me off the air while Brett was reading the news that within about 40 minutes, he had a hotel room and a place to lay his head, collect his thoughts. And and he's just so thankful for the fact that somebody knew where to send him. Uh, and you're right, Robert, he was told several times that uh, they didn't know how to help him and where to send him. So alarming, so alarming. Good job, you guys. All right, Bob, thank you for that. We appreciate the feedback. We turn now to Robert at 204-780-6868. Hi, Robert, what do you have to say? Hi, how's it going? I'm doing well, Robert, how are you? Good. Um my comment was, uh, you know, I, I think that everything that Slow Mission does is of crucial importance to us as a city, as a province. Um, we can't have one single person in these cold winters sleeping outside and freezing to death. It's it's absolutely ridiculous that that still occurs today. Uh, and I, I think that what we really need to do is we need to align all our resources to our people. I think that even a single dollar spent on an asylum seeker is almost an embarrassment to us as a city or a province before we get our own people off the streets and safe. And I, I think it's it's ridiculous that we're attributing any resources to people that are quite literally halfway across the world that are coming into our country, violating the Safe Third Country Act and are illegally crossing and can even be described as economic migrants, not even as asylum seekers or refugees, but almost economic tourists, you could say. I think that we need to focus on Winnipegers, on Manitobans first, before a dollar is spent on anyone else. Robert, are we not wealthy enough, progressive enough in this part of the world to be able to do both at once? You know, I would agree that we are, but these aren't people that are true refugees in a lot of cases. Sometimes they are, but they've passed through various countries that are safe, that are not war-torn, and it's become quite clear that they are just looking for a better life for themselves, which is fair enough. But do we have borders anymore? Do we care about our own people anymore? And why are we attributing so many resources to people that are not in true danger? Robert, we'll we'll leave it there. You've had your say, and uh, we we respect your position uh, 100%. Thank you. Thanks for listening, Robert. We very much appreciate it. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. It is the number to text. And, oh, okay. Do I, should I, we got a response from Michael. I'm reading it cold. Should I just, just go into it? 
I think you should. Okay. This is uh, from Michael. We we mentioned earlier in the previous half hour that most of the, the people who use the services at Silo Mission are men. But there are sometimes times where instances where a young family, for example, will be in there. But they said it's generally men who use the services. And Michael made a comment that was, let me just see if I can find it here, said mostly males is not a surprise at the Siloam. What does that tell you? So we said, well, what does it tell you, Michael? And Michael has responded. He says, most charities who are supposed to advocate for the homeless people repeatedly fail to advocate explicitly for homeless men. Let's face it, society treats men as the invisible gender. Thank God for Siloam. I'm not really... Well, I can for sure agree with the last thing you said, Michael. Um, I understand maybe a tiny bit of where Michael's coming from, uh, but uh, why don't we just let his comments stand on their own, just as we did for Robert. We let Robert have his say and give forth his point of view, uh, regardless of whether or not we agreed with him. I'm not saying whether I did or I didn't. Yeah, thank God for Siloam indeed, Michael. That's uh, that that part definitely well said. And again, just to to reiterate, uh, Liz said that there are uh, they often will redirect women to other shelters because sometimes they need different kinds of services. The whether it's for safety, a lot of you know they mentioned there a lot of times women are fleeing a situation where they they can, need protection. Can you name a more visible group that does work for the homeless in Siloam Mission? No, and that's and we certainly don't want to downplay the efforts that anyone else is making. But Siloam, I think, is one of, if not the the front runner, in, at least in terms of the first organization that you think of in Winnipeg, and with good reason. I mean, they they have such an incredible organization, and they're doing such great things. And the fact that they have so many people coming in to help them out, medical professionals. Uh, people, the kitchen had, we had, I think, eight people in there. Two of them were staff. The rest were volunteers making 1,500 meals a day. I think it's usually uh, two staff and about 11 to 13 volunteers at each different meal interval that comes in. It, it's absolutely uh, overwhelming. And and I asked the question, what do you say to people that suggest that organizations and facilities like Silo Mission uh, make being homeless a vocation on its own, that there isn't any incentive to change things. Well, for anybody out there that has the conception that these people have won the lottery by becoming clients at Salome Mission and being the recipient of all this outstanding generosity from our community, I suggest you pay a visit. Siloam.ca is the website. Again, they are located at 300 Princess. Uh, thank you again to Liz and everyone at Silo Mission who gave us a tour today. It's an incredible facility. I've now been there a couple of times, and it was great to see a reminder. And just a, as a fun fact, a fun they have the oldest working freight elevator in Winnipeg, which was just kind of neat. Well, hey, as a guy who likes old buildings, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's a really incredible uh, what they've done with that old building. And uh, I foresee great things to come as they continue. It is coming up to time for your forecast on 680 CJOB. It's uh, 147. Jimmy Kimmel blowing up the internet as a lot of his videos do. Usually those are pre-produced 
pieces that he does that uh, blow up the internet, Twitter, Facebook. I'm going to take a shot every time you say that. What's that? Blow up the internet. I'm going to make <laughs> turn that into a drinking game. I think I'd be I, I'd be dead. Yeah. <laughs> Even with your expertise in, in these areas? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yesterday, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, last night, I guess, to be precise, uh, came public with the, with what was keeping him away from work the week before. And it was the first thing that I saw on my timeline on Twitter. Actually, it was courtesy of Charles Adler, tweeted it out. Uh, Adler must have been having a Donald Trump-like sleep and was up in the middle <laughs> of the night tweeting things out. And uh, the video was very powerful. Uh, he reveals the fact that his son, uh, newly born son, born with a heart issue. And uh, here's a little bit of that story. I have a story to tell about something that happened to our family last week. I'm sorry. You know, I, I, I try not to get emotional, but it was a scary story. And before I go into it, I want you to know it has a happy ending. Okay. So when I'm telling this, don't get too upset. Leave that to me. But a little over a week ago on Friday, April 21st, uh, my wife, Molly, gave birth to a boy, a baby boy. His name is William John Kimmel. Thank you very much. Uh, We call him Billy. It was an easy delivery. Six pushes, he was out. And he appeared to be a normal, healthy baby until about three hours after he was born. We were out of the delivery room. We moved to the recovery room. Our whole family was there. And we introduced him to his two-and-a-half-year-old sister. She was cute with him. Um, we were happy. Everything was good. My wife was in bed relaxing. And we, when a very attentive nurse at Cedar sinai Hospital, her name is Nanoush, was checking him out and heard a murmur in his heart, which is common with newborn babies. But she also noticed he was a bit purple, which is not common. So she asked me to come with her. And my wife and I assumed it would be nothing. Our daughter had a uh, heart murmur, too. And we didn't notice that he wasn't the color he was supposed to be. So I accompanied Billy and the nurse went down the hall to another part of the hospital, the neonatal ICU, where another excellent nurse named Ann checked him out and called the doctor in. And now all of a sudden it felt serious. And the room started to fill up. More doctors and nurses and equipment started coming in. And they determined he wasn't getting enough oxygen into his blood, which, as far as I understand, uh, or understood at the time, was most likely one of two things, either his heart or his lungs. And you hope it's the lungs because sometimes... They have fluid in them after delivery, and it's potentially a minor thing. But they did an x-ray, and his lungs were fine, which meant his heart wasn't. So now more doctors and nurses and equipment come in. And it's it's a terrifying thing. I'm, uh, you know, my wife is back in the uh, recovery room. She has no idea what's going on. And I'm standing in the middle of a lot of very worried-looking people, kind of like right now. Um, <laughs> who are trying to figure out what the problem is. It's Friday night, and so they call a pediatric cardiologist, uh, Dr. Evan Zahn, who, when they called him, was picking his mother up from the airport. Luckily, her plane was not delayed because he got to the hospital very quickly. They did an echocardiogram, which is a sonogram of the heart, and found that Billy was born with um, a heart disease, uh, something called... Tetralogy of Fallot with pulmonary atresia. It's hard to explain. Basically, the pulmonary valve was completely blocked, and he has a a hole in the wall between the left and right sides of his heart. And then they brought my wife in, and um, they wheeled her in, and Dr. Zahn told her what was going on and what our options were, and we decided to take him to Children's Hospital, 
where there's a world-renowned cardiac surgeon who is by all accounts a genius. His name is Dr. Vaughn Starnes. So we put the baby in an ambulance to Children's Hospital, Los Angeles, and on Monday morning, Dr. Starnes opened his chest and fixed one of the two defects in his heart. He went in there with a scalpel and did some kind of magic that I, I couldn't even begin to explain. He opened the valve and the operation was a success. It was the longest three hours of my life. But it was a success. So, um, they didn't do everything. <clears throat> He'll have to have another open heart surgery in three to six months to close those holes but they want to wait until he's bigger, and then he'll have a third, hopefully non-invasive procedure sometime maybe in his early teens to replace the valve he has now. So Jimmy Kimmel was off last week. He shared that story last night. If you go to cjob.com in the global video section on the right-hand side, it's, it's the second most viewed story on uh, globalnews.ca. You can see the entire video. I think it's about nine minutes. Very powerful message from Jimmy Kimmel about his personal experience. And I can tell you, Brett McGarry, that the first time I had ever heard of the neonatal intensive care unit, I was standing in the middle of it. My boys were born about eight weeks early. Uh, They came on a day when we had no idea that they were going to show up. In fact, there was no room at the inn. At one point, it looked like we were going to have to go to Saskatoon or Edmonton to have the boys. Uh, Jackie's water broke at 5.30 in the morning by 11.11. Both of them had been born. So that clearly would not have been a good scenario had they had to put us on a plane and send us somewhere else. They must have realized that. They opened up room for us. And, of course, you imagine the fact that you're going to take your kids home. Sometimes some people are taking their babies home the next day. Well, our boys were in the NICU for a month attached to the monitors. Alexander stopped breathing in my arms as I was feeding him one day. Um, We had an experience that was incredible. Uh, And we knew people who who lost one one of their two twins to a heart situation. And uh, just when you stand in that incredible part of the hospital, A, that didn't know, I didn't know existed. Could you imagine adding to the stress? And Kimmel goes on to talk about this. Imagine adding to the stress, wondering where your insurance premiums are, what the status of those are, what limitations might your insurance policy have in terms of care for your baby. And then playing it forward and going, oh my gosh, he's now black mark. Or they're a black mark in terms of the insurance company for getting insurance for the rest of their lives because they're born premature. So I've just got about a minute and a half here of audio from Jimmy Kimmel talking about that. We were brought up to believe that we live in the greatest country in the world. But until a few years ago, millions and millions of us had no access to health insurance at all. You know, before 2014, if you were born with congenital heart disease like my son was, there was a good chance you'd never be able to get health insurance because you had a pre-existing condition. You were born with a pre-existing condition. If your parents didn't have medical insurance, you might not live long enough to even get denied because of a pre-existing condition. If your baby is going to die, and it doesn't have to, it, it shouldn't matter how much money you make. I think that's something that, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or something else, we all agree on that, right? I mean, we do. 
There's more, there's more to that, but we're running up to the top of the clock. And I guess the point I want to make is I know we can get frustrated with our medical system here in Canada. Sometimes we feel as though we don't have the best of everything available to us at all times. But I can tell you from experience, uh, I call my boys the $100,000 babies. <laughs> Would have been a lot more than that to have them in, t- in intensive care times two for a month in America would have bankrupted us if we hadn't had the right insurance. We didn't have to think about that. And I know we got every bit as good a care in that neonatal intensive care unit at St. Boniface Hospital as Jimmy Kimmel got at Mount Sinai or Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. So the next time you you think you're getting subpar care, just just think about Jimmy Kimmel's story if you wouldn't mind. Coming up to 2 o'clock, the news on 680 CJOB. I'm Brett, he's Greg. Welcome to Mackling and McGarry. We want to direct you to the brand new CJOB.com, to the question of the day. To access that, by the way, when you go to our new website, you'll find a tab that says more. Just hover the cursor over that and you will find question of the day. And the question of the day today, what would make you stop commuting by car? And your options are better, safer transit, more bike lanes slash pedestrian paths, more amenities to live downtown, or I will always drive. And that is the question of the day at cjob.com, which is brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Now you have to go to cjob.com, and then there's a more tab, M-O-R-E, and then you uh, click on that. And it'll show you different options, including question of the day. And that's how you get to vote. So check it out. Navigate the new CJOB.com. Got lots of stuff there in partnership with our uh, partners at uh, Global News. What do you want to do for the next half hour, Brett McGarry? Well, now we it's, it's time for a monthly visit with our friends from the Mood Disorders it really of is. Manitoba. Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba, pardon me. And it's Mental Health Awareness Week. So it's just good timing. It's just kind of... Uh, I don't know if I, the word happy coincidence is an appropriate term. We could term, call it serendipitous. Sure, let's go with that. Tara Bruzo Snyder is here, Executive Director at Manitoba uh, Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. And Jennifer Hanslip, I think this is her first time with us. She joins us. She is the Director of Postpartum Peer Services at Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. Jennifer, get up nice and close to the microphone there as we get to know you. And tell us a little bit about your position as Director of Postpartum Peer Services. Okay, well, first, thank you for having me. As the Director of Postpartum Peer Services at the Mood Disorders Association, I am responsible for a few different things. Uh, One of them is facilitating and promoting our Shoppers Love You Baby Blues and Better Days course, a course that's run every two to three months at different locations around the city for both new parents and expectant parents. As we run the course, uh, it runs over four weeks. It is meant to provide information related to postpartum depression and a lot of support and resources We go on to talk about uh, relationships and finances, which are some of the things that can certainly cause stresses after a baby is born. We talk about wellness and self-care, something that is so important but often left, uh, left out and not something that is often done. 
And we kind of conclude everything by talking about the myths and expectations of motherhood, uh, as well as the different uh, social supports that are available. We really focus on how it takes a village, and we talk about the different resources available and provide a a whole, it's almost grown to a package of information now of different websites, articles, uh, what is out there in the city that can help. So that's one aspect of my job, uh, which I certainly love. Um, another aspect is also uh, we do have um, a postpartum, um, uh, I'm sorry, what is the word that I'm looking for? We have a warm line that you can call hmm. if you have questions. And so just making sure that people are knowing about that. It's a phone number that people can call any day of the week from 9 in the morning to 9 at night. We have wonderful people answering the phone. And it's really for mothers or their family members or maybe concerned friends who have questions related to postpartum. And the people who answer are very good, very warm when they listen and providing information. So that's another aspect. And just uh, letting people know what services are out there in the community. I often have people who have been to my courses contacting me to ask, okay, well, what else can we do? As well, there is a monthly uh, postpartum uh, support group that is run on the third Wednesday of each month from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock at our Mood Disorders office on 4 Fort Street. So that is something that I facilitate as well. So it's kind of a whole whole mix. Yeah, it sounds like a very uh, broad portfolio. But Tara will vote for me on this. Sometimes you talk about serendipity. Sometimes you just catch someone at that right time. Maybe there's somebody listening right now. Here's Warm Line. Here's what you've been talking about right now. Can you give us that number right now? Because you just never know exactly when the mood is going to strike and someone's going to find the strength to make a phone call that they've been thinking about making. For sure. The phone number for the postpartum Warm Line is 204-391-5983. So postpartum depression is something I think is maybe one of the last frontiers in terms of mental wellness. Is it fair to call it that? Sure. I'd say that. So why is that the case? Why has it been been left and, and maybe separated from some of the other issues like bipolar disorder and, and some of the other different sorts of situations that we know about as it pertains to, to depression and, and mental illness? Well, I think in a lot of cases, people kind of assume that once you have a baby, everything will just kind of fall into place. It's supposed to be a happy time. Unfortunately, that not always is the case, often is not the case. Um, with other things, there there seem to be regular supports in place. So if you might have bipolar disorder, um, there are certain established things that are in place. With postpartum, there's a lot of women out there who maybe don't know what they're going through. They maybe don't have a word for it and they don't necessarily know what is available. So part of what we're doing is trying to get the word out that, you know, that we do have so many things available to help and that you're not alone. Well, Jennifer, you, you experienced. I absolutely did. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I'll give you the Coles notes version. And, uh, I suppose just as a warning to anybody listening, um, my story could be a trigger for people, so I'll, I'll try to tone it down a little bit, but it is important to talk about what happened. So in my case, um, I married my high school sweetheart. We you know, went through university together, established careers together, spent a while before we decided it was time to start a family. So when we decided it was time, 
everything just kind of fell into place. We got pregnant right away. It was fantastic. When I was pregnant, I was the happiest I had ever been in my entire life. You know, everything had happened. We figured everything happened for a reason. And it was wonderful. Even my obstetrician at the time had said it was a textbook perfect pregnancy. You know, everything just to set me up that it's such a wonderful time. So to go from that to um, my baby was due, I was a week late um, and, you know, figured everything's going to go fine. We had been to prenatal courses. I had read the books, figured, okay, I know what I'm doing. And of course, um, going to the hospital, not everything worked out as it, um, as I had hoped it would and um, ended up having a bit of a traumatic birth and noticed that once my daughter was born, there was really no sense of connection, no sense of attachment right from the start. I kind of looked at her as she was placed on my chest, but I really didn't feel anything, which was strange. And from there, um, the hospital stay was interesting. They eventually moved me into a private room, which was nice. When I came home, I was very weak, though. I had lost a lot of blood, and um, it was even difficult to get up the stairs into my own house. So once I was home, I was having problems with breastfeeding. Luckily, I had an amazing public health nurse who was coming to see me on a very regular basis. She got me in touch with a lactation consultant to try to help with that, and in my mind, I figured, okay, this should be something that's going to start to feel natural, start to feel normal. Unfortunately, it didn't. So going from this really elevated state, you know, the happiest I could have ever been, to slipping, slipping, slipping. I had even gone to my family doctor and asked for a blood transfusion because typically I actually qualified for a blood transfusion because of the amount of blood I had lost. And I was told no which was fine. She was concerned about, well, you can do this on your own through your iron pills and eating as much red meat as you can, which was fine. But she didn't even bother asking the question, how are you doing? Why would you, like, this is kind of an odd question to ask. How is everything? Didn't even ask the question. So again, I started slipping further and further. Um, I've started having suicidal thoughts and this was very, very early. I'm less than two weeks after baby was born, which is unusual but not uncommon and things started uh, slipping the public health nurse was noticing that things were getting worse I was starting to have these suicidal thoughts and when my baby was two weeks old I made a phone call to a phone number that's no longer in existence I believe it was with uh, the women's health clinic at the time so now this is back in 2006 so things have changed a lot since then but it was a phone number you could call, not quite a crisis line, but just to ask questions after having a baby. And I asked the question, could this be postpartum depression? I talked about my different signs and symptoms. I included the fact that I was feeling suicidal. And they told me flat out, no, it's too soon. Now, for to be told that was absolutely devastating. I figured at least if it were that, I knew there's a way out of it. There's treatments available. But if it wasn't that, then what is the matter with me? What is my problem? So that was absolutely devastating. After that, um, my husband got on the phone with our public health nurse. Of course, this was kind of towards the end of a day on a Thursday. And she gave us the phone number for the mobile crisis unit and said, do not have her alone. Do not have her alone with the baby. Do not have her alone. And I never had any 
thoughts about harming my baby. It was just for myself. So he, uh, he had that number and she said, I'm clearing my calendar for the next day. I will be over at nine o'clock. We are going to the hospital. So having all of this information, it was somewhat of a relief knowing that help was coming. But at the same time, it was terrifying. So Friday came along. At this point, my daughter was 15 days old. So again, very young. The nurse came over and she said, okay, your husband and you and baby pack the pump because at this point I was using a, a pump uh, for breast milk. She said, pack everything. We're going to the hospital. And we happened to go to Grace Hospital Emergency. And my nurse went in first and spoke with the triage nurses, which I think helped because she was able to explain that this is something she had been watching the progression, the downward progression. And so she was able to give them a bit of a background from there, I spoke with the triage nurses, and they got me into a family room, which was really nice. With a 15-day-old baby, you don't necessarily want to be waiting in a regular waiting room with everybody. And I was able to see a COPE nurse, a care of psychiatric emergencies. I understand they don't exist anymore, but she was fantastic. And she asked me a lot of questions and basically said, I'm pretty sure it's postpartum depression. And then once the psychiatrist who was on call was able to join me, um, she asked me a number of questions and then she formally diagnosed me right then and there. Yes, 15 days out, but yes, it is postpartum depression. We're going to have to pause our conversation with Jennifer Hanslip, who is the Director of Postpartum Peer Services at Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. And Tara Brousseau-Snyder is here as well. She is the Executive Director of Mood Disorders Manitoba. We'll continue our chat after your forecast during this Mental Health Awareness Week. Your forecast is up next. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. Our guests are Tara Brousseau-Snyder, who is the Executive Director of Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. Jennifer Hanslip, who is the Director of Post postpartum peer services at Mood Disorders. We have a monthly visit with the MDAM first Tuesday of every month, and it just so happens that this is Mental Health Awareness Week. And Tara, I've never, I can't believe I've never noticed this before, but right on your homepage, mooddisordersofmanitoba.ca, there's a box top left. If you are in need of support, there's a peer support line, but what I've never noticed is the postpartum warm line uh, that we have referred to that number once again 204-391-5983 why was it so important to have that right there first thing well we were seeing that services were being cut uh, starting about 10 11 years ago and then what happened was we had a tragic death nearly four years ago and the the mom that it happened to had been a pharmacist so we have partnered with Shoppers, and we have the Shoppers Love You Run, and all the funds raised go to postpartum uh, depression. They also go to women's depression. But it was really important that we offer support to women because they had not been receiving it. And so with the course, with the warm line, we're available for people with our support groups across the province. We really want moms to know. Dads are usually the first to recognize it, grandparents so if you do see signs, we're here for you and we can help. And Jennifer's doing a wonderful job with that. You mentioned that you have prenatal courses uh, to heighten awareness of the possibility of this. Who who should be thinking about taking this course? Are there people that are potentially at a higher risk of, of becoming postpartum? 
Uh, Certainly, there are some individuals who would be at a higher risk. Some of the risk factors include people who have a family history of mental illness, people who have um, perhaps they've been diagnosed with depression uh, during the while they're pregnant. Um, You might also have people who are just interested in knowing more. I know. Um, if I had known about this type of a course, you know, all those years ago when I was having my baby, I probably would have been interested in going because I was trying to read up on the books and find out what there is. And sure, I was finding out about ideas as to how to look after my baby, but I didn't really know about what services are available. So I, I think it's really kind of a, a mix of people that could benefit from it. Why is the course called uh, Baby Blues in Better Days? I almost, isn't it? Isn't that sort of an old-fashioned sort of term? Or? Not really. Um, when we take a look at different uh, postpartum uh, emotional adjustments, there's kind of a, a spectrum. So at the at the lowest end, if you will, is the baby blues, which is still a, a term that we use. And that would be used to describe some of the feelings that mums feel in the very first little while after having a baby. So you might be very emotional You might be crying a lot. Uh, There might be a lot of mood swings, feeling overwhelmed, very tired. Certainly those are a number of things that can happen, but it doesn't last. That's the thing about the baby blues. It's a common thing to happen. Uh, Up to 80% of women experience the baby blues, um, but it doesn't last. It's when it moves on into postpartum depression. That's when things to get things tend to get more serious when it impacts a woman's ability to function. Tara, you were saying 10,000 babies born in Manitoba every year. In Winnipeg. In Winnipeg. Yeah. What's the incidence? What's the percentage? Do we know? 8,000 of those moms are having the baby blues and 2,000 have postpartum depression. We really need to reach these moms, these 2,000 especially, um, it's very easy to be able to determine if they have it. The Edinburgh scale um, has empirical evidence that it works for screening. We need to be able to make sure that our doctors are doing the screening, that it's happening when moms are in the hospital. Um, it's it's just very, very important. Let's give out the uh, warm line number one more time, 204 Three nine one five nine eight three. There's email support available at a click of the mouse. Mood disorders. Manitoba.ca is the website. And if people are looking to register for those courses, where do they go, Jennifer? Uh, they can certainly email me or call me. And um, I don't know if you want me to give my number. Please or email. do. Okay. Absolutely. Sure. Um, my phone number is two zero four two five zero three zero seven nine. And email address is jenniferh at mooddisordersmanitoba.ca. And just so you know, if anybody is interested in registering for the next course, we will be holding one coming up in June. Uh, So so starting June 10th, Saturday afternoons at the Sir William Stevenson Library on Kiwaitin. And I'd love to have anybody join me. Jennifer Hanslip is the Director of Postpartum Peer Services at Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. Tara Brousseau-Snyder is the Executive Director of the Mood Disorders Association. And if any of that contact information went by a little too quickly, I know it's a lot to absorb if we give you a bunch of phone numbers, uh, just shoot us an email. Brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com. We will show you the way. The news is coming up next. I'm Brett. He is Greg. Just want to... 
wrap up the chats that we were having with our friends from the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. Our monthly visit every Tuesday, first Tuesday of every month, that is, just happens that it's Mental Health Awareness Week. And we were talking with Tara Brousseau-Snyder, who's the Executive Director of MDAM, and Jennifer Hanslip, who is the Director of Postpartum Peer Services, talking about postpartum depression, women's depression. And they do have an event coming up. It is the Run for Women, and this is in partnership with Shoppers Drug Mart. And it's happening on Sunday, May 14th, so that's Mother's Day. It's a 5K walk or run. There's also a 10K run or even a 1K for 12 and under. And uh, it's located at the Centre Scolaire Leo Remiard, and that starts at 8.30 in the morning uh, with staggered starts for the various races. So if you want more information on that, runforwomen.ca. Uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad you made that announcement. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. En Francais. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, I wasn't, didn't even realize that. It, oh, it's, it's in French. I'm going to try to... Try to dig out some of my old French skills. I'm looking at uh, kellykeen.com, Kelly with an E-Y-K-E-E-H-N.com. And uh, Kelly joins us now. She is personal finance educator, consumer advocate, financial planning standard counsel, and uh, looking at her mission, well, uh, your mission, Kelly, you're on the line with us now, to make you feel good about money. How dare you suggest such a thing as possible? <laughs> Hey, Greg and Brett, great to chat with you. How dare I? Who doesn't want to have uh, feel good about their money? Oh, right? I think we all want to, but I think we're afraid to have conversations with, with, with yeah. folks like you, right? Having those honest discussions about where you're at, where you're at in your personal finances can be one of the toughest discussions uh, either with your friends, your family, or your partner. You know what? And my, it's oddly enough, my husband really pushed me on that mission. He's like, what do you mean feel good about money. He's like, how about people that don't have money? How about people that are in debt? And that's a, a huge reality for a lot of people. And the thing is, though, if we don't feel good about talking about it, here's the thing. Do you guys remember um, Hal and Joanne participation? Of course. Of course, right? So imagine there was a time in Canada, let's say 1950s, 60s, 70s, where we didn't know anything about health. We didn't have the four basic food groups. We didn't know. If you remember the participation uh, ad, and I think the last time I was on the show with you, uh, Greg, you, you looked at the, um, it was the Swede and the shaming of the Canadian, right? That's right. That, remember that the Swede could, like, he was 70 years old and he could run faster than the 40-year-old Canadian. So there was a time we didn't know anything about health, and... It's not that we don't know anything about finance, but it's really the last, you know, you're talking about Mental Health Week, that's so fantastic, but we still don't have these money talks, and it's the last shame, the last taboo, because Canadians go, I don't know where to start, I don't know where, you know, if we're talking about money, that's fun and cool, but if we're talking about debt, we're talking about, look, I don't have enough at the end of the month, that's a really hard conversation to still have with friends on the radio, you name it. So I'm thrilled uh, to be on chatting with you, gents, and uh, dispelling some of the myths. So your listeners can be like, look, one thing I can do, uh, figure out what that is, and feel better about your money and your situation. 
We're going to go into great detail with you next week. I don't know if you know this or not, but you're committed to come and see uh, us in person. I'm doing it. A week today, you're coming to Winnipeg next week, and we've made arrangements to have you in studio. But we already had a commitment to talk to you today with regard to tax time is now over. At least it should be over, and it's not over for everyone because there are procrastinators out there. But sometimes the biggest battle with doing taxes, Brett, I don't know where you are. I'm not going to ask you. <laughs> where you're at with your taxes. Oh, they're done. They're good for you. Yep. For some people, the biggest burden is the fact that the, maybe they've got some deductions and things that they need to keep track of all that paper for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you're right. It, it ended yesterday. There are the procrastinators. And then remember, too, if you're self-employed, uh, you have till uh, June 15th. So there are some people who are still figuring it out. Um, but, yeah, all of this information is laying around You don't know what to do. You don't know um, what you should throw away, shred, all that good stuff. So I'm happy we're talking about it. Also, this information leaves us really vulnerable because you've got your social insurance number on uh, your tax forms, your T4s and 5s, and then those notices of assessment are going to be coming in, all of that type of stuff. And also, another thing is it's, a, it's you know, spring, uh, I hear it's 18 degrees there right now. I'm so excited. Please keep that weather for me <laughs> next week. Um, but, you know, as you're doing the spring cleaning, uh, usually one person is stepping up to the plate financially in a family and not necessarily the other person. So spring cleaning your finances, figuring out where everything is, what you still need in your financial life is a great exercise at this time of year. Um, you know, and, and tax time being the impetus to kind of get that started. I can tell you just looking at the long-term forecast, Kelly, that uh, now this could change, but the long-term forecast for next Tuesday is 20 degrees. Wow, awesome. You guys rock. Okay, that's perfect. <laughs> Custom Thank order you. just for you, Kelly. Please hold that. Please hold that. <laughs> we will put a big R sign reserved for Kelly Keene. Awesome. Kellykeen.com. Uh, K-E-L-L-E-Y. K-E-E-H-N, if you're unfamiliar. Her mission to make you feel good about money. We're talking about spring cleaning and that whole idea that there are probably some financial documents, A, that you need to keep around, B, that you don't need to keep around, and what do you do with the ones that you need to keep, and how do you dispose of the ones you don't? So how do you dispose of things properly, Kelly? I think a lot of us have the idea, uh, I'll put it in the recycling bin, and and they'll take it away, and and it's, it's safe like that. Totally, totally. And my last book was on avoiding identity theft and scams. And I did hundreds of radio interviews, and we would talk about dumpster diving. And callers would say, well, that's not really a thing, is it? And people would literally call in within the show saying, yeah, yeah, I was walking my dog at 5 in the morning, and there was people going through the garbage, and they weren't looking for bottles or anything like that. They were looking for paper. So we have to be really careful. If your name is on that document, an account number, your address, no matter what it is, it should be shredded. Never recycle anything. So there's, there's, as you said, there's kind of three buckets we want to look at. So number one, you only need to keep six years of your tax returns. Anything older you can get rid of, but make sure you shred that, those documents, okay? Then uh, as bank statements come in, as credit card statements come in, you want to check those really carefully, or ideally you're doing that online as you go along. Now, if you don't need those documents, you're not self-employed, and you don't need them to support your tax returns, if you you are self-employed, you know, you want to keep any supporting um, statements coming in, 
But if you're not self-employed, you check them over, you see everything's good, you can actually shred that uh, as those come in. You can shred receipts, again, if you don't need it as supporting for your tax returns. Shred it as you come in. But obviously I've said that word a number of times. The big takeaway is get a shredder. Your family (laughs) needs a good shredder. Uh, It can pile up there and and do the shredding once a month. That's okay. So that's what you can get rid of. Now, what you want to keep is always you want to keep things like your life insurance, uh, mortgage documents, any investment accounts. You might want to make copies of things like your driver's license, passport. Now, if you're making copies of sensitive documents like that, make sure you know where they are. Make sure they're just not laying around the house. Um, You might want to even make uh, copies of things like your prescriptions, right? Tuck that into your wallet, the glove compartment of your car in the event of an emergency. And then that last bucket is so you know what to shred what to keep and then the last bucket is if you've never dealt with someone like a certified financial planner you've probably never done this exercise and hopefully what you do at the end of it is create this nice little binder that has all your important documents in it has a list of who you're dealing with your lawyer your financial planner what what have you account numbers and then you'll see what documents you still need like do you have a will has it been dusted off in the last 20 years? I'm not going to ask either of you uh, if you have these documents or not. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay, no problem. But I don't. don't. I'll just it's, say I don't. <laughs> okay, then you know what? You, I mean, it's so important. How, no, even more important than the will, I think a lot of people will say, especially if you're living, is a power of attorney. These are both very important documents. They can be low cost because what happens is, like, guys, I'm 42, but I travel a lot. So it's really important I have a power of attorney because if something happens to me short term, no one can do anything with my finances or not as much as you would think that my spouse can even do. So, you know, really, really important. Your living will, you don't want to leave a burden when something happens to your spouse or your loved ones. So uh, that, in a nutshell, is the three buckets. Have a nice little blinder at the end of it. If this sounds overwhelming, and I know it can be a little bit, uh, maybe it's time to reach out to a pro and get some help in cleaning up this financial clutter. There are people who thrive <laughs> on the idea of going through those shoe boxes full of receipts that you've been keeping hanging around. I know a couple of these people. I think they're odd, but they're wonderful. <laughs> and it's like it's their life mission is to have everyone perfectly organized uh, the way that only they are capable of uh, making me or people like me who are not very good at those things. Yeah. Yeah, there's the Sheldon Coopers of the world that love it, and God (laughs) bless them. I mean, I'm a financial geek, but I I have to tell you, tax time is tough. The clutter is tough. It gets a little overwhelming. Um, But you know what? You chunk it out. It's one thing at a time. And then once you're organized, you're going to feel so good. You're going to feel so all this clutter is cleaned up. Uh, you, you know, you know where those important documents are. Uh, uh, guys, I won't ask you either if you know where your social insurance card is. Okay, like it's things like that. Like, geez, where is that? Is that just floating around? This is such a key part of your identity that the government isn't even issuing social insurance cards anymore, right? Just the numbers. Just the numbers. So, you know, if, if it's floating around, let's say you're doing renovations or something, you don't know who's coming in and out, maybe you've got teenage kids, you want to know that, that, that things like your kids' passports are locked up, maybe you have an in-home safe, 
um, uh, you know, you have a cabinet that locks up, what have you. And then you can just, you can just like do kind of like old school stuff. Like, you know, I have a basket on my, my kitchen table. My husband and I throw all the bills in there every single month. And then we just take one hour at the end of the month, open everything up, look through everything, file it, shred it, whatever. And then it's just so much more manageable. Here's a question. You mentioned dumpster diving earlier, talking about shredding. Is Not to sound super paranoid here, but yeah. if I'm, how should I be disposing of the shredding? You know, I don't want a, a bag that's entirely shredded documents. Somebody who decides to be an industrious identity thief could right. put that to use, could they not? Well, if it's cross-cut, they're pretty safe. Like, if you get yourself a really good shredder that's cross-cut, that, that's, that's pretty safe. Um, you know, if you, let's say you're one of the people that write to me all the time that haven't done this exercise in maybe 20 or 30 years, and you're like, oh, there's no way I can shred through all of this. Uh, a question I get often is, well, who's, like, what's a, a safe shredding company to go to? Obviously, if you've got a fireplace or a fire pit, <laughs> that's a safe free shredding company to go to. Uh, when in doubt, go to your local bank and just, you know, call up your branch, walk in and say, who's the shredding company that you guys use? Because if the bank is using that shredding company, it's a pretty good uh, pretty good sign that that's the best one in your you know in Winnipeg to use. So uh, get yourself a great great cross cutting shredder or hire a company that your bank is using and uh, just get it out of your house. It's just better than uh, you know laying around. And I know some of the uh, financial institutions will have like a shredding day. Well, they were, where they will welcome their shredding company with their giant truck, <laughs> and it's pretty cool to watch. And you can bring all your documents there and they'll do that so keep an eye open for that ask your credit union in particular i know a couple of them in town that will do that at least once a year so uh maybe uh, just ask your credit union they don't typically do them in the winter so it may be uh, that time of year kelly you have such great advice for us we're really looking forward to uh discussing a little bit of a financial well you don't like the word financial diet do you i don't because you know what i don't like diets I don't think uh, that people like diets either because they don't stick. So I actually like a little bit of what I call an anti-budget. And I think that's what we're going to be talking about. Anti-budget. Okay. You've got me. I can't wait to to see you uh, next Tuesday. We'll talk about that and uh, we'll do it in person this time. Awesome. Thanks, Greg and Brett. Looking forward to it next week. Thank you, Kelly. Kelly Keene. She is a personal finance educator, consumer advocate with the Financial Planning Standards Council here in Canada. She's coming to Winnipeg next week, and uh, she's going to come and visit us here at 680 CJOB. You can check out her website in the meantime, Kelly Keene, K-E-L-L-E-Y-K-E-E-H-N.com. Your forecast coming up next. Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling with you, 253 on this sunny, now getting a, maybe a little bit cloudy afternoon outside Polar Park, depending on where you are. Hope you're having a fantastic day. Thanks for tuning in. Maybe it's the traditional AM radio or maybe online at cgob.com. The new and improved revised cgob.com. You can listen live there or on the Chorus app. And what's that, uh, Radio Player Canada? Yes, that's right. You can get all your favorite uh, chorus stations there as well. And every day we post our show on something called Omni Podcast and uh, also on, are we on iTunes? Yes, Omni. uh, Oh, my So you can get to that through our website, cjob.com, but it will automatically send it to iTunes and Google Play. So if you want to 
If I have a Samsung Galaxy Note 4, by the way, that's not the explodey one, uh, just so you know. But if <laughs> yeah, I you would have had to give him that back, right? Yeah, that's right. If I was uh, law abiding, um, but uh, <laughs> you, well, not in a law abiding, I guess. If I was just uh, not a stupid person, a rebel. If you were a rebel, uh, but yeah, you can. Li- I'm just looking up Mackling and McGarry right now to see what happens. Well, don't do so that. In the meantime, why not? What? You don't want to see a picture? Or I, do you ever Google yourself? Uh, oh, that's a very personal question. Do you Google it? Do you ever Google yourself? No. Yeah, I don't either. No, I don't want to know what I find. I, I think it's a really good idea not to Google. What? Yeah, there it is. Okay. I, yeah. It's quite a fine picture of you. You you look about a foot taller than me in that picture. Am I kneeling down? On I don't know in that what's picture? going on. I, like, is that two separate pictures put together? Because I, I remember we did a photo shoot together. You're not that much taller than me. No, it does make me. You look, look a little like bit. a giant. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I I sort of wondered that myself. Like, did they? Is that a composite? I wonder if uh, perhaps you were standing forward of me. Anyway, uh, Mackling and McGarry, uh, check us out. Uh, we love your feedback. As always, I'm holding in my hand a mysterious powder. I don't think uh, it's uh, going to kill either one of us, but you sure didn't like the taste of it. No, we had a conversation on March 30th about Greg spotted something on the Facebook page of one of our colleagues, Tammy Cole. Over at uh, Power 97. You figured out the mystery of where this all started. And it was something called PB and Me, as it turns out. It's powdered peanut butter. So that triggered a conversation with our listeners who were texting us saying, Yep, powdered peanut butter, it's awesome. <laughs> because it has, it's, it's all the protein and almost none of the fat. So I'm walking through Superstore the other day, and I just happened to walk past their natural foods aisle, which I... Almost never go down. Unless Did you go I'm, down that aisle by by mistake? I well, no. You know what? I went down that aisle because they, they have those kettle potato chips down that aisle. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I wanted. I was thinking about maybe getting some of their sea salt and pepper chips, but I decided oh, those not are really to. good actually. So I look over at their peanut butter, and then I see this. It's called Just Great Stuff. So it's not the same brand that you saw, and I don't know if it's the same brand that our listeners told us about. But yeah, it says ninety percent less fat than traditional peanut butter. You just add water. I took it home. I tried it. I love peanut butter, so I thought, why not? We are listeners recommended it. Mm-hmm. It didn't really work for me, Greg. Yeah, you're actually giving it away. <laughs> I was like, do you want this? <laughs> Your boys will like it. No thanks. I don't know. No thanks. We like uh, actual peanut butter in our house. Well, why don't you try mixing it with actual butter? Try that. Yeah, maybe. Or milk? Because it does say to add water. Or why don't you try a little Crown Royal in there? (laughs) (laughs) Just a suggestion. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) What could possibly go wrong? Powdered peanut butter. It couldn't be any worse based on what you're telling me. Any worse. So why don't you give that a shot and then bring it back and give it away? News at three (laughs) o'clock is coming up next. Stephen Colbert last night came as close as one can get to a one-on-one interview with Donald Trump. I think there was a little editing done on this one. President Trump, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, I love your show. I love your show, too. It's hilarious. (laughs) Now, sir, you've been in office for 100 days. What do you think people are saying about you? People are saying, is he sane? I have no idea. You don't know if you're sane or not? I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I guess we will. Let's talk about North Korea. Are you afraid you might start a nuclear war? I was all set to do it. In fact, I was going to do it today. I was going to do it as we're sitting here. I would have had to delay you. I was going to do it today. Sir, do you understand the ramifications of a nuclear holocaust? No. All life on Earth would be wiped out. 
You know that also would include your golf courses. I would not be happy. Okay, let's move on. Uh, what's next, sir? What are you planning to do in the next hundred days? I just don't want people to know what my thinking is. Are you thinking? No. I ask because you seem to change your mind a lot. I just want to nail down your policy. Where do you stand on NAFTA? I'm not going to touch it. Medicare? I'm not going to touch it. An unsuspecting woman's behind? I will touch that. Final question. How would you sum up your first 100 days as president? It's hurting the country. There you go. There's a, well, it's a fake news. That is an interview that did not take place between Stephen Colbert and Donald Trump, but it was edited to look that way. Colbert, the master of editing for so many years, not only on the Colbert Report, but before that on The Daily Show. It was a way to uh, make fun of those that they were interviewing and unsuspecting victims of their editing practices. It was uh, amazing that anybody would actually sit down with them for an interview after what they would do with that it. Uh, that that video sometimes kind of reminds me and i know it's not the same thing but it reminds me of al music do you remember al music on much music sort of you'll have to refresh my memory so they i believe they did three but i want to i know they did two for certain it was where weird al yankovic took over much music for two hours and he would be play his own videos, play videos that he just wanted to play, do his own thing. And then a lot of them were he would have these phony interviews with singers or other celebrities where he would ask these ridiculous questions and then he would just throw in their their canned answers. So uh, that whenever I hear that kind of an editing thing, that's always the first thing I think of is Al music, Weird Al Talk. I, can't, I think I, he did one with Madonna. I can't remember the rest of them. But Interesting. That we're going back to like the early 1990s. Oh, yeah, way back in black and white. I suspect that that'll be the, as close as Colbert gets to an interview with Donald Trump, so he had to go down that road. Uh, by the way, Stephen Colbert, you can catch him every night on Global at uh, 1035. And he's now, I believe, the front runner on the late in the late night wars. I think we're going on about uh, 12 weeks now, just like that. Politics and Donald Trump been very, very good to Stephen Colbert. It is 313 on 680 CJOB. Traffic and weather together coming up next. I don't know. I think Landon needs to go to the Polar Park Hearing Center myself. (laughs) I also hear Tristan Field Jones as Tristan Fetal Jones for crying out loud. Landon, uh, the folks at (laughs) Polar Park Hearing Center would would like to meet with you. Toots wit. That could be an indication that uh, he's thinking of Tristan in a a fetal... Because so he, he thinks doesn't Tristan's a baby. doesn't actually hear it that way. He just imagines it that way. Yes. Thank you, Landon. That's, I, I think that's actually fairly apt. Uh, good for you, Landon. This is another text here. This is actually one from Greg, who says, LOL at Al Music. I vividly remember when he asked Sting to, quote, pick his nose and wipe it in his hair. Oh, wow. Interesting. <laughs> that sort of rings a bell. So thanks for that, Greg. Are we going to give away some stuff? Oh, the wine festival is on, and it's not that kind of wine. It's the yummy kind of wine. That's the right. kind of wine that your your wife, your girlfriend, your husband, your boyfriend like. You know, book club wine. Are you taking books to the wine festival? I don't think so, but you take wine to book club, don't you? <laughs> we have two week, two tickets for the Winnipeg Wine Festival tasting event at the RBC Convention Center this Saturday from 1 to 4 p.m. So 
We're going to follow in the footsteps we did yesterday. We're going to play a clip from a movie or TV show that has to do with wine, and we need you to identify the film or show that that clip is from. Yesterday's was fairly easy. It was Roxanne. It was Daryl Hannah and Steve Martin in a scene from Roxanne where she says, would you like some wine with your nose? I mean, cheese. So here is, I'll stop the music now. Here is today's clip. But I have already died. And I never drink wine. What film was that? That sounds like a sad life, by the way. But what film was that? 204-780-6868. What film was that clip from? If you know the answer, hmm. then you could be going to the Winnipeg Wine Festival tasting event this Saturday afternoon at the convention center. I am going Friday evening myself. You are? Yep. Uh, where's my invitation? You want to go? No, I got plans. <laughs> Going to see Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume ah, 2. Excellent. Seventh row. boy. Yeah. That's right. You booked those ahead of time. I did. I think I was very uh, apt. Did you use the word apt on I, or off the air? Uh, on the air, I think. Okay. Well, I'm using it right back at you about myself one more time. I'm doubly apt. <laughs> I'm apt. This, this or, afternoon. Uh, you going to Polar Park or St. Vital? St. Vital. Okay. Yep. Boys like St. Vital. Uh, probably grab some chow beforehand. I don't know where yet. And then uh, take it in. I'm like I mentioned. I just love the music mm-hmm. in that uh, in that movie. What is who's who's the star? Chris, Chris Pratt? Pratt. Wasn't he on Community or Parks what, and Rec? Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. When did he become so ripped? That for like Guardians of the Galaxy, like he's ripped up. Well, that was a big thing because he was kind of a roly poly sort of guy. And, oh, on he Parks looked and like Rec. me. And he appeared in Zero Dark Thirty. I think he was starting to buff up a little bit then. But I remember when it was announced that he was going to be in a comic book movie, that was one of the things that people were saying, like, Chris Pratt, really? Like, we like Chris Pratt. but And that was my thought. Like, I like Chris Pratt too, but really? And then he posted that picture of himself in his underwear, just taking a selfie, totally ripped, and uh, that was one of those moments that people went, oh, my goodness. And then they even made a joke about it in the show, in Parks and Rec. They had a they did. They had a throwaway line where where they acknowledged the weight loss. And he says, so how did you lose all that weight? And he says, well, I just stopped drinking beer and I lost like 50 pounds in a month. And then his coworker says, how much beer are you drinking? And that was that. <laughs> It was like a 10-second scene. Okay, so the dude's like like hilarious mm-hmm. and can de- deliver the lines like nobody else. Now he's ripped to boot. So now he's like a bonafide sex symbol. Yep. Like he is on the road to maybe being the sexiest man alive, according to People magazine. I, he could be in the running for that. Oh, for sure. And he could, uh, I think he's easily in the running for like uh, to be a, he's already a big, big star. I think he could be the biggest star that's, that's in films. pretty wild. So we're coming up to, do we have a winner yet? We do have a winner. I'll just quickly mention the winner's name is Terry Barak. Am I saying that correctly? Terry Barak, congratulations. The answer to the Rocky clip, Four. Rocky Four? We got a text message for that. That's right. But I have already died. Oh, I see why. You're... And I <laughs> never drink. <laughs> Not Rocky Four. Why? No, that is not Ivan Drago or anyone related to Ivan. It was from Bram Stoker's Dracula. The relationship was not entirely successful. Oh, yes. 
Gary Oldman and Keanu Reeves and Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992. Terry Burak, congratulations. You're going to the Wine Festival Saturday afternoon. Sports is next. In case you just missed it, uh, as I did, the police have blocked off Pritchard Avenue between McGregor and McKenzie. No delays right now, but use caution if you're in that area. Send us an update. If you are in that general vicinity and you have a traffic tip in general, give us a call, 781-1320. That's 204-781-1320. Text us at 204-780-6868. I'm Greg. He's Brett. So uh, this is kind of neat coming out of the uh, the National Football League in the United States of America. Very much a, a local connection to this, right? Winnipeg's Jeff Gray. Signing a three-year contract with the Green Bay Packers. That is pretty cool. And that's back-to-back years now that a player on the Manitoba Bisons has scored a deal in the NFL. Yeah, Gray won't soon forget signing his first NFL contract after a technical malfunction made it more difficult than just putting pen to paper. He says that his, uh, quote, my scanner wasn't really working properly and I was mostly just frustrated, to be honest with you. This is Gray speaking with Global TV. And he says it was a whole stressful nightmare. Things don't work out like they do in the movies. I will tell you that much. Keith McCullough, Christian O'Mell, and I uh, spoke with Jeff Gray on Sunday afternoon following the announcement that he had been signed as a priority free agent with the Green Bay Packers. He was not drafted in the NFL draft that took place over Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, But he did tell us how absolutely excited he was. But here's the interesting part. If Gray makes the Packers roster, Brian Doby, the coach of the University of Manitoba Bisons, will be smiling on October 22nd when the Packers face the New Orleans Saints for a potential matchup between two former Bisons. New Orleans Saints, David Onyemata, defensive tackle, Jeff Gray playing guard. Doby says, quote, they literally could rep out against each other. Just like back in practice in 2015, that would be Pretty awesome. There's lots of stars that have to align for that one to happen, Gray said. Just making the squad would be a start. So uh, really cool story out of Winnipeg and uh, the University of Manitoba in particular. The fact that uh, U of M and the Bisons football program becoming a little bit of a factory for uh, NFL players here. Of course, uh, Israel Adonage, the former U of M Bison uh, star, went on to uh, play uh, almost a decade with the Chicago Bears of the National Football League and was a high performer uh, in the NFL and one of the most popular players in Chicago as a member of the Bears. Pretty cool that one of their most popular football players, U of M Bison, the most popular hockey player in Chicago, Jonathan Taves of Winnipeg. Oh, yeah, that's That's right. right. That's a fair game. Uh, We stole Bobby Hall from Chicago back in 1972. So it's turnabout (laughs) is fair play, I suggest. (laughs) Speaking of fair play... What's going to happen tomorrow night when the Washington Capitals and Pittsburgh Penguins get back on the ice? It was announced today. I think uh, Kristen Field-Jones had it in sports at 425, 325 rather, I'm ahead of myself, uh, that Sidney Crosby will be out of game four. The Capitals won last night in in overtime after giving up a 2-0 lead in the last two minutes against the Penguins. Minute 56, if I'm not mistaken, was the exact amount of time. The Capitals knocked Crosby out of the game. Matt Niskanen with a cross-check to the head. Some people calling it a defense move by Niskanen after he was high 
uh, Crosby was high-sticked by Alex Ovechkin, the uh, star of the Capitals. He fell down in the crease, and then Niskanen, uh, a lot of people calling it self-defense, cross-checked Crosby. I'm not exactly sure what in your DNA and and what in your makeup uh, makes you feel threatened by a guy who's falling down and coming at you on his knees that you you need to ram a a lethal weapon into his head when he's coming at you, but... uh, no further disciplinary action uh, is expected on Niskanen or Ovechkin. And Crosby, uh, very well, uh, I mean, we know he's out for Game 4, very well maybe done for the rest of the playoffs. And uh, Charles Adler, I just retweeted a couple of his tweets, uh, basically suggesting, you know, the NHL really needs to wrap its head around how it treats players, acknowledging that concussion... I know from personal experience, uh, the long-term ramifications of concussion and brain injury, people call it a head injury, call it what it is. It's a brain injury, and the National Hockey League refuses to acknowledge the long-term ramifications of brain injury, and uh, when are they going to start protecting their players? Uh, They keep letting garbage like this continue and, and justify it by saying it's part of the game. Uh, it frustrates me to no end. That's the last I'm going to say of that because I could do probably an hour monologue on it. And nobody wants to hear that. Uh, we got a text on this from Peter who says, uh, my comment, yes, Ovechkin whacked him first to the back of his head. Then came the other cross-check hit. The review board should look at the game tape and suspend Ovechkin or maybe Crosby lawyers will bring it up if they decide to sue or assault can that even happen? It can happen. It happened here in Winnipeg back in 1980. Jimmy Mann, the enforcer of the Jets, jumped over the boards and broke his stick over the face of Paul Gardner. Wow. I'm going off memory here. It was in November of 1979 or 1980. Uh, Doug Smale. Gardner actually broke his stick over Doug Smale's head. And then Jimmy Mann came over the boards and uh, sucker punched Paul Gardner, and I didn't use his stick, he sucker punched him, broke his face, and there were uh, legal charges uh, pondered at that point in time. I can't remember if that ever happened or not. Like I said, going off the top of my head here, the Jimmy Mann, Paul Gardner incident back in 1979 or 1980 here at the old Winnipeg Arena, in fact. It is 344 on 680 CJOB. We'll have a look at traffic and weather up next. All right, so I was off a couple of years. It was January of 1982 <laughs> when Jimmy Mann jumped over the boards and sucker punched Paul Gardner, but he had, in fact, broken his stick over the face of then-Jet Doug Smale. This from the New York Times. Jimmy Mann of the Winnipeg Jets was fined $500 by a Manitoba provincial court judge today after he entered a guilty plea to a charge of assault causing bodily harm to another player in a National Hockey League game. It is the first criminal prosecution in Manitoba arising from violence in a hockey game. The charge was laid after Mann, 23 uh, left the bench in a game last January against Pittsburgh. He skated up to a Penguin forward, Paul Gardner, and struck him twice in the face, breaking Gardner's jaw. The league suspended Mann for 10 games without pay. Gardner was later suspended for initiating the incident, but the suspension was applied to time he missed with his injury. Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham are oh, here I to tee up that. the news. I remember that very clearly. And, you know, that was the age of John Ferguson and uh, the general manager at the time. And, wow, what the uproar in this province as a result of that. How can the courts get involved in trying to police hockey violence? That came from a text message on the uh, Sidney Crosby situation. 
with uh, Matt Niskanen. History always repeats itself. Oh, it has a way of doing just that. Uh, four to seven, uh, Richard and Julia get you home safe and informed. What have you got planned for us this afternoon, Ms. Buckingham? Um, well, lots of stuff, including Ted Franson, Pemina Trails School Division, talking a little uh, P3 and, and what it means to have those private-public partnerships when it comes to building public schools. And uh, there's another, there's actually several public-private uh, partnerships that are going to be revealed in the months ahead. We'll also tell you about another one at the University of Manitoba. Uh, cuts at the University of Winnipeg and some programs affected. We'll talk yeah. to you about that. And uh, I know you've been giving away wine tickets to the festival. Yep. We have uh, with us, uh, and I guess we'll have to include Mike Conkin in this interview because apparently Mike has, has revealed himself again. He's back. Yes, I don't know he where has. he was. Uh, but we've got a really fun guest, um, winemaker Howard Soon from uh, Sandhill Wines, who's going to join us. Uh, they're doing the Discover Wines of Canada event at Assiniboine Park Zoo at the Polar Bear Exhibit. So we're oh, going to talk neat. wine about that. Cool. Yeah. Nothing says polar bears and wine. Are they going to be doing ice wine? There or, you go. That would be a good idea. Go. And on the heels of that Statistics Canada report saying wine is starting to make, like, you know, what's your beverage of choice besides water? It's still beer for a lot of Canadians, for but wine a, is... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I asked uh, Brett earlier, uh, we know the, the ladies like to take wine to book club. Will they be taking books to the wine festival? That's my question. <laughs> um, I suspect the answer is no. no. Yeah. And we also have tickets to give away to see Burton Cummings at the Burt as we play Guess Who? What was it, LeBron James? That was up in. Was it last night that he was up in the car in the crowd? Yes. And uh, he he didn't take the beer from the from the beer vendor, but he said if it was red wine, I would have drank, drank that. It. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's interesting. I love LeBron. <laughs> yeah, I do too. He actually one one of his. Uh, I can't remember one of the Cavaliers got a technical foul, and there's a fine that goes along with that. He goes, I don't know what he said. I didn't know what he said at the time. I already decided I was paying his fine in the first place. And many arts organizations are waiting. And uh, they're having emergency meetings because uh, tax dollars are not flowing to them. Uh, we'll tell you a couple of the stories there, and we'll talk to the minister responsible. Sorry, I thought you were done. I thought we were just well, going to chit chat about and on. LeBron, you know, we've got wine, we've beer, got uh, an fouls. eyewitness to that shooting in the downtown Skywalk that we're going to bring to you uh, in the four o'clock news. Like you say, it's action packed. Yeah. Okay. Well, we you, never stop. You probably have uh, lots of things to do to uh, make there? sure What's it comes off without hit. Peanut butter. Oh, this is the uh, the powdered <laughs> peanut butter. Oh, we yeah. uh, we talked about this back on March 30th, and yeah. I finally went and picked some up. Wanted to try it. I love peanut butter. Uh, you you just add water. It's supposed to be not all the protein, 90% less fat. Nice. I, and is it 90% less fun? You know what? It's I don't want to say it was bad. I just want to say it, it didn't agree with me, and I don't know if it's a texture thing or what. I'm or, thinking it's probably a sugar thing. Could be. Because there's a ton of sugar in peanut butter. Well, yeah. I, I, usually, I usually like to get the, the natural peanut butter anyway. Okay. So, so your palate trends in that direction. Yeah. So I don't know. It just it was. It, it's just wow. unusual. I might just need mix to mix it with your ice cream. Perhaps an acquired. I told t- him to put a little bit of Crown <laughs> Royal in there. McGarry, the connoisseur. Maybe you want to roll into our five fifteen segment. Talk mm-hmm. a little bit of wine and. No. I do like the wine. I'll be there on Friday, oh, I... but I'll be back with you guys at five forty-five today. Yeah. Yes. New release Tuesday. Maybe it's Tuesday Sauvignon it Blanc. You need to mix with that. Uh... That uh, powdered. I said ice cream, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like ice cream. That's good.
Although I think that doesn't really help me with the whole less fat thing. Part of the reason why I'm trying it is because <laughs> oh, it's right, fewer calories, that. less fat. I Wait said a minute. Into a smoothie. I don't think he genuinely thought it, this would taste better than he, actual peanut butter. Is he turning butter. the corner know. here? Am I going to get what? him doing all sorts of... I'm not coming to WPG Psycho with you ever. <laughs> <laughs> so you can give up on that. <laughs> They're very disappointed in you over there. They really are. I said when they get a kid's cycle sized in there, then maybe I'll come along. I didn't yeah. say we'll never go. I'm just not going with you. Oh, look, okay. at this. look at this. Look at the power to turn off the microphones. It's a great thing. Going to take advantage of that. Richard and Julie, you won't want to miss their program. I actually listened to it yesterday. I, w- I was quite impressed. You actually did? Yeah, you guys are, you guys are pretty good at what you do. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Clute and Julie Buckingham, thank you so much. They will take you home from four until seven on six eighty CJOB. However, we get the listeners, we don't care. Just remember, Mackling McGarry, where listeners become winners. You know that's the fact. I'm Brett. He's Greg. Jeff Forte and Master Control. Thank you very much, and thank you to listening to Mackling and McGarry on six eighty CJOB.